0: Welcome to the Mustang Owners Podcast. And now your host, Steve Hall.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Mustang Owners Podcast. Today we're going to be speaking with Donald Farr. Most Mustang enthusiasts are very familiar with the name Donald Farr. When it comes to print, I probably have to say Donald really does not have any equal in the, in the hobby as were his books. He's been the editor of Mustang Monthly, currently the Mustang Times editor for Mustang Club of America. So I'd like to welcome you to the show, uh, and uh, thank you for coming on, Donald.
0: Hey, C. Thank you very much for, uh, for, for having me on, on one of your earliest podcasts.
1: Well, we got to start with the superstars. So <laughs> I wanted to make sure I had you on. And, and uh, your your connection and history goes back so long. I mean, there, there are very few that have gotten the time in, in service, as it were, that you have. So I want to kind of start maybe a little bit with how you ended up. Well, obviously being a Mustang enthusiast yourself and having Mustangs, you obviously found yourself then going to work at Mustang Monthly, but I thought maybe spend a little time just tell us how all that came about and was that something you were looking to do in your life or your vocation?
0: No, not really. I never I never dreamed that I would be doing what I'm doing and having done it for so long. Uh, I like cars from the time I was a little kid and but. Um, uh, 1965, when the, the 66 cars came out, I was, I had, I turned 13, and it was a great time to be growing up and, and liking cars because you had Dodge Chargers and Toronadas, and of course, the Mustang was already out, and, and Camaros were coming out soon. And uh, just, just a great time to be a, a young guy who liked cars. Uh, I kind of got familiar with Mustang that year as well, 1966, when my grandfather bought a a brand new um, Mustang GT, a hardtop. Surprising to me, my grandfather was a a farmer and a very practical man, had trucks and uh, falcons and stuff like that. And all of a sudden he shows up with this Mustang, Signal Flare Red, GT. and, And he became, he and my grandmother became like celebrities in our little hometown because they had, Here they were in their early 60s and had a Mustang. So it told me right there that Mustangs were really cool cars. Uh, So I always paid attention to Mustangs after that. But it was a few years later, uh, September 1970, I had uh, just started my senior year in high school and my parents had decided that instead of me taking their Mercury Monterey on dates and high school band trips and rock and roll band gigs, that I was doing at the time, you know, they they didn't have any cars to go anywhere on, on Saturday night, so they decided to buy me a car. And my dad and I uh, went out looking at used cars because he, he wanted to buy something pretty cheap. But in in the end, he he couldn't get past his his thought of you know buying a used car is is buying somebody else's troubles. So we stopped at the local Ford dealer, and of course, he knew the '71s had just come out. So he knew there were some 70 models on the back lot that were available for a deal. And there were there were two Mustangs back there, two Fastbacks. One was a Grabber Green Grabber, and the other was uh, just a pale yellow, plain Jane, 302, two-barrel. Nothing really special, but I didn't like the Grabber Green, so I said, well, you know, I'd I, I like to have the yellow one if, if it works out. And, and sure enough, he uh, the next day, I, I showed up at his feed store, and there, there was that little yellow Mustang and uh, that was my first shot at, at mustang ownership i showed up at school the next day and everybody you know thought it was cool that i had a mustang uh except for one guy he came up to me this particular car had a had a stripe kit on it and i learned much later that this was a stripe kit that ford had sent out to ford dealers to uh, dress up plain jane fastbacks and it, it It started um, right under the mirror and went down halfway down the door and back. It was very much like a Boss 302 strike, but it wasn't. It It just said 302. My my buddy came up to me and asked me, was it a Boss 302? And I had no idea what a Boss 302 was. Uh, Of course, I would learn later. And not not too much longer after that, I would figure out that Boss 302 was what I really wanted. But that Mustang, I started hopping it up, you know, headers, uh, muscle parts intake and holly carburetor, thrust side pipes. I did all the stuff that we all did to, to our hot rods back then. That was my kind of my start in, in working on cars and, and having a, a car that was kind of a, a hot rod car. Uh, but I really wanted a Boss 302. And that wouldn't happen for uh, another few, few more years. I put like 100,000 miles on that little yellow Mustang. My wife and I are we had been married about a year and we were driving through Spartanburg, South Carolina to go to her aunt's house for a visit. And I used car lot on the west side of Spartanburg. I spotted a grabber blue Boss 302. Well, I dropped Pam off at her aunt's house and made a beeline right back to the to the dealership to look at the look at this car. it was a Sunday, so I had nobody to talk to, but I, you know, I fell in love. And uh, went back the next week and, and made a deal with you know, L. R. Road was his name. I, I he, he went to my wife's church, so I actually knew him. Traded that little yellow hundred thousand mile three hundred two Mustang, and uh, for a Boss three hundred two, and had to give him four hundred dollars to you know to make up the difference. So uh, that Boss three hundred two was really what got me into clubs and led me right down the path to what I do now.
1: Well, do you still have the Boss 302?
0: No, uh, I kept it about 12 years. Long story there, but, you know, it had 52,000 miles on it. When you think about it today, buying a 52,000-mile Boss 302 for $1,600 is is unreal. But, uh, you know, the, the grabber blue paint was faded, and, and and engine needed some work. And through that car, I... I I stumbled into a Boss 302 club up in Hickory, North Carolina uh, that a guy named Danny Rocket had started. Went up there for the first time to meet with some of those guys and, and we were just going to go for a cruise in the mountains. Uh, all of a sudden, I'm in a parking lot with with three other Boss 302s. More, more Boss 302s than I, I had seen in my life all there together. And I owned one of them. So that was... Um, Really cool. And for my first time, hanging out with other people who had the same interest that I had. And that uh, that led me to the to the Shelby American Automobile Club, Mustang Club of America and, and right on down the line.
1: Well, that's a way of doing it. When you start to talk to other people, it kind of energizes you with your car and makes you very you know, proud and happy with the car you have. But then it makes you kind of see what else is out there that you can do with these groups, whether it be clubs, uh, going on cruises or car shows or such. So well, let me ask then: how many Mustangs or what's the, what, how many Mustangs have you owned over the course of uh, your Mustang world and life, I should
0: say? Oh, I've never counted them. I, I wouldn't consider myself a collector. I've never had, you know, a bunch at one time. But I, I can say that I have owned a Mustang continuously since September, 1970, when I got that little yellow Mustang. You know, I can tra- trace the lineage back to that car. So uh, I had the Boss 302, and then uh, actually, John Flora will appreciate this. Pam and I bought a Mustang too in 1977. And uh, bought it brand new, and uh, but it wasn't. I guess it wasn't until uh, I came to work with Larry Dobbs at Mustang Monthly that I that I kind of owned a series of them because because uh, Larry was a Wheeler dealer, and he would buy a car just on a whim. He just he just had to buy this car, and then a few months later he'd be ready to sell it. So I, I had many cars that were passed down through Larry Dobbs. <laughs> so. Uh, we all knew we could get a deal from Larry once he, once, he got, uh, once, he, once he got tired of owning a car. So I had a 69 Mach 1. I had a 66 uh, GT convertible. And from there, I, I got into uh, some of the late models. I had a 91 5-liter LX convertible and 98 GT. And, you know, I, I drove Mustang convertibles probably for 20, 25 years. Uh, the newer ones, they were, they were fairly new at the time. And, well, I, I got to talk about the one car that, that I've owned the longest, the one Mustang I've owned the longest and, and the Mustang that I still own today. And that is the 66 GT signal flare red hardtop that my grandfather bought new in the early eighties. I found out it, I knew it was still in my hometown and I found out it was for sale. And uh, I went and got it from my buddy, Tom Mack went to uh high school with Tom Mack. I think he used to have a, a car dealership up there in Charlotte, but, um, I really proud and happy that I own the car that my grandfather bought brand new that got me into Mustangs.
1: Well, that's one of those great Mustang stories we love to hear because sometimes that happens where family has a Mustang. You know, for some reason it goes away and then you know years later it pops back up either by accident or by actual search. Now you mentioned Tom. You mentioned Tom Mack. Is that the same Tom Mack that does the uh, car auctions in our area? Yes, it is. Ah, wow. Well, again, another small world.
0: <laughs> yeah, Tom and I went to high school together in Union, South Carolina.
1: I'll be darned. And,
0: uh, and Tom started dealing in, in cars, you know, collector cars, even even while I was still there in, in Union, South Carolina. And I moved on, he moved on, And but we, we always seemed to somehow run across each other like my grandfather's car. And when um, I moved down here to go to work for Larry Dobbs, the first project uh, we kind of did was How to Restore Your Mustang, the book. And it turned out Larry Dobbs bought the car that we restored from Tom Mack. So uh, Tom and I have some history.
1: Yep. I love these stories. I'm sure others will enjoy listening to them. But uh, let's talk about Larry Dobbs for just a minute in the the direction of— Obviously, at some point, you, you know, you're talking about in high school You when you had a, a a Mustang, but how did you end up going to work for Mustang Monthly and Larry Dobbs?
0: Well, I, as I said, I had um, stumbled across a guy named Danny Rocket who had a Boss 302 Club, and Danny told me that there was a Shelby American Automobile Club, so I went to the Shelby American Automobile Club meet in Pine Mountain, North Carolina, that's where I met Bill and Kathy Harris, mm-hmm. and... Um, so all of a sudden, I'm 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 in this group of people who who love high performance Mustangs I and mean, Shelby's Boss 302s, 289 Hypos, and you know I'm just fascinated by that. And that also led me to the Mustang Club of America. I saw one of their first ads and means Motor News and joined right away. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of finding this community of, of Mustang people, Shelby people. And through that, I heard about Larry Dobbs starting a magazine called Mustang Monthly. I think I joined on the third issue that he did. Actually, he started his Mustang Exchange letter and uh, changed the name just a few months later because he had heard about Super Ford Parts Exchange. Uh, up in New York. And he was scared there would be some confusion with the exchange name in both of them. So he changed it to Mustang Monthly. So I, I subscribed and started getting the magazine, very small, very, a lot of reprints from old magazine articles, not a lot of editorial. Uh, of course, at that time, we were all interested in the classified ads to see what people had for sale, you know, cars and parts. It would have been 1970, probably 77. He, he, put something in Mustang Month saying that in October, I may have my dates wrong, but by October, he said in October 79, he was going to uh, make a full size magazine with color covers and color inside. And he wanted to expand the editorial. And he asked, uh, was asking if anybody would be willing to contribute. So uh, to back up a little bit, I, I, when I got involved with the clubs, especially the Shelby American Automobile Club, uh, another little hobby I had was photography. And I had started taking pictures at the shows. And the Shelby American Automobile Club um, started using my photos. And, and that was that was a big deal to me to see your name in the magazine and uh, get your photos in the magazine. Um, Austin Craig, if you're familiar with Austin, he... Uh, He's now out working out at Shelby American, but uh, he was very encouraging to me. He was the president of SAC and also the editor of the magazine and, and encouraged me to continue writing and continue in the photography. And, and that's what I had been doing up until the time Larry put an editorial in the magazine looking for people to contribute. So I wrote Larry a letter, this was you know, well well before emails and, and texts and all that, but uh, told him I was interested, and somehow we ended up talking. And and in that first issue that he, uh, he had a color cover and and color inside, uh, I had two uh, two stories with my photos: the Shelby Convention in uh, Downingtown, Pennsylvania, and the Grand National uh, MCA show down in Atlanta. So I guess Larry liked what I was doing, and. Sometime late in 79, he contacted me to see if I would like to come to work for him. Well, you know, I I was looking for a way out of my dad's feed store there in Little Union, South Carolina. So it was was a scary, scary thing at the time, kind of a risk, but I took it and here I am.
1: Well, it was it was actually for the benefit, not maybe for yourself. For sure, I'm sure, but also for the hobby, because obviously uh, your work. I don't know if there's really anybody that ever goes to a Mustang car show that doesn't know Donald Farr, which is kind of leading me to my next comment or, or question: as how many thousands of people asked you to put their car in your ma- in that magazine? Well, I, I would
0: have lost <laughs> lost count. I know, uh, I know. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, but but I do. I, do appreciate people coming up to me and telling me about their Mustangs because otherwise I wouldn't find out about all these, these cool cars that, that are out there. This uh, Now that I'm doing the MCA magazine, uh, MCA members are, are all the time telling me about their cars or, or, or story. I'm, I'm leaving, leaving the show at Tucson. Uh, we they had just done the awards and Pam and I are going out to the car to go off on our little vacation and, We didn't even get out the door when a guy came up behind me and and said, Hey, can I tell you about this boss 429 I found. And he'd start showing me pictures on his phone and he had found a boss 429. It's One of those great barn finds. Mm. Uh, And he said, is that an interesting story? And I said, well, yeah, Um, send me, send me your pictures and and send me a story. So uh, I got to thank the the Mustang owners out there, the MCA members out there that, that, provide me with with the stories now not every mustang has that it, well every mustang has a story some aren't as good as others but you know yeah you got to dig through them all to find the really good ones
1: of course well then, then I was just curious so has there been one or two mustangs that you've maybe you've written about or photographed that really just kind of have they, they they stand out in your memory um so you know cuz like I said you go far, I'm sure you've done Oh, um, you know, as they say, bios on thousands of cars and their owners. But I was just curious: is there any car or two that, or maybe it's the owner that really just stands out and just says, "Wow, that was just that's that's just a, you know an incredible story, incredible connection." Is there any cars that that do that for you?
0: Yeah, one that always stands out for me. And i it's been a while since I thought about the car, but I was sitting home one day. And I believe it was right before the 45th anniversary, uh, Mustang 45th anniversary down in Birmingham, Alabama. And, and a friend of mine called me. He worked for my friend George Hussman at Classic Design Concepts. So and he mm-hmm. was on his way down to the 45th anniversary. And he said, my father-in-law's got this car. Uh, my father-in-law lives in Pennsylvania. He's a retired doctor. He, he collected these kind of eccentric cars, early production cars. And he's got one of the Mustangs that was at the World's Fair at, at, the, um, at the Ford display.
1: Oh, I know you're talking about now. John Mansell.
0: Yes. Yes. Yep. So, uh. and he said, my, my father-in-law is thinking about pulling this car out and restoring it. And I said, maybe he should show it the way it is. You know, pull it right out of, out of the barn, clean it up a little, you know, take it around like it is because people love that stuff. And he ended up bringing it to Carlisle a couple of years later. And, and I m- was able to meet him there. Jerry Heasley photographed the car there. And, and I met with Dr. John and got to interview him and tell his story. And, you know, everybody's out there looking for these World's Fair convertibles. And here was the gentleman that had, you know, Mustang number no. four parked in his barn for all those years and and i was so glad to be able to tell that story and, and he got uh, he was up, he was up in age but he got to enjoy before he passed away he got to enjoy the commotion that that car caused he had it at the 50th anniversary at charlotte you know they put it in a a special area and and um, so that 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 one really stands out for a lot of reasons
1: well, and and I can be honest with you, I can relate to that because I've I also have gotten to know the family. Zero uh, zero four is actually sitting right behind me in the museum as we yeah, speak. Right. Uh, on top of that, and I've gotten to know his sons and his, his and his wife. Um, and they're, they every time they go down to Myrtle Beach, they stop off to see us, and it's just such a great family. Yes, um, yes, they are. I got yeah. I
0: got to know the son. Yeah. uh, Well, I got to know a bit of the whole family there. I met them all up at Charlotte for the 50th anniversary. Kind of. Yeah. He he
1: definitely was at the 50th. He was definitely a rock star. And uh, I'll tell you just a quick little side story because I think I know you will appreciate this. Being one of the directors for the 50th, the decision was that we were, not, we were not going to give any car special placement because they're all special. We didn't want to get into where this yeah. car was more special than this and this and this. And so that was one of our ground rules that we had. And we got phone calls and we told people, sorry, it's just, you know, they're all, they're all great cars, all of them, uh, no matter what shape, how rare, they're great. And then I get a call from John Cora about two weeks before the event. He says, Steve, I've got a car, um, it would be great to have. I can't tell you what it is. I'd be great to have at the fiftieth, but they really would like to have it indoors. They' really not really comfortable leaving out out in the open. And I said, okay. He said, you're okay with that? That's against the rules. I said, John, you're the one calling me. You know the parameters. If you're calling me knowing that we're not supposed to do this, I know it's got to be a great car. So I'm anxious to see it. So yeah, we'll do it. Well, the funny thing is, and of course that was the car that was brought into the media center. Uh, they They had a little amphitheater room, in which we parked the car. And then somehow or other this lady, I maybe I shouldn't say this in case she listens to this. I don't know her name, but she goes over to the mansells and tells mansells, Oh, you've got my spot. I was supposed to be in here with this car, my car, but you've got my spot. But you have a very nice car, so it's great that your car is here. But I just wanted you to know you have my spot. And so they, they mention that to me and I go, I don't know who, they're, who this lady is you're talking about. There's only one person that had rights to this room, and that was John Clore, and he invited you guys, and he he hit a home run. So I said— they were they were concerned that we we had upset this lady is why they were asking me and I'm going nope not to worry about it. I don't know who it is move on your car is here and he was interviewed I have there are pictures of the him mean dr. John Mansell, um, being interviewed by everybody I mean from TV everybody he was he and Gail Hollerman were the rock stars of the show they were just everybody, right. everybody wanted a piece of them and so it was great so we're looking forward to having the Mansell family on one of our future podcasts in fact I yeah I talked to Lee just real quickly and he didn't call me back to to talk about doing a podcast with him. Well, when he did, he had been fishing in North Carolina and fishing was so good they stayed a few extra days and yeah they caught a bunch of trout. So it's 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 a fun world out there with these guys. I mean it's a, the, the family is incredible. They're a great family. So and we're blessed to have the car. To be quite honest with you. So
0: yeah, you know, that car and then it's it's uh... I hate to keep going back to all the early, early cars, but it was, I was uh, at Mustang Monthly and, and the 20th anniversary was coming up. So this was back in 84. And um, I, I got wind that Ford was doing a 20th anniversary model, which, you know, was the GT 350, the white cars with the red stripe. Mm-hmm. And by that time I had gotten to know uh, the PR guys up at Ford. And so I contacted one of them and I, and, and I had a, another contact who worked at Henry Ford who he had told me in a phone conversation one time, there, there's the first Mustang is down in the basement, 100001. So I called the PR guys and I said, what's the chance of me getting a photo of the, of the new 20th anniversary Mustang with the first Mustang? They didn't know the car was there. <laughs> Next thing I know, they're calling me back and they're saying, oh, not only will we let you take the photo of of the two cars, we'll take the photo for you at our studio. And so I think it was the April-May issue. It was the only time we have ever had a a two-month issue because of a newsstand issue. But the April-May issue, 1984 issue of Mustang Monthly had the 20th anniversary convertible with a Mustang Sally sitting inside. And the white one zero 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 one convertible, you know, behind it. Ford also used that for their um, promotional stuff for the twentieth anniversary. But uh, you know, just I, I just the fact that I somehow helped bring that car back out into the light is satisfying to me. Oh no! <laughs> and, and from then on, it was treated like royalty.
1: Well, you'll have to read. You have to go back to one of our podcasts with the gentleman who was the salesperson who sold zero 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 one. Oh yeah, Jim
0: Smart. Jim Smart knew him. Yeah. So Jim, yes. it was a fun. It was a
1: fun interview with him. Uh, he's still he's still in Canada. He's retired, of course. He's in his eighties, but uh, he seems to remember all of that quite well. Uh, so it was fun just to kind of reach out to hear to some hear from somebody that was there during the sale of that car, kind of a piece. So, neat. yeah, any connections.
0: Jim Smart did a story for, for Mustang Monthly with him probably 10 years or more yeah. now, but uh, fascinating, fascinating that, that people are still around that, that were actively involved.
1: Yep. Uh, I know we only have a few more moments, but I wanted to ask you, obviously, you've done a lot of books, uh, and I say a lot. I mean, you've written tons and tons of articles, of course, in columns, but well, I would have to say, what, maybe seven or eight books, nine books? Uh, well, if you
0: count the, all the different versions that, uh, that, that have been done, you know the, the second editions and
1: yeah. Which well, which one? Which one was your favorite to do personally? Uh, and I have a feeling I already know the answer from our interview, our conversation already. But what was your favorite book that you did?
0: Well, I'll divide that up a little bit into into two eras. The first Boss Three Hundred Two book I did back in eighty one, eighty two. Uh, thanks, thanks to Larry Dobbs jumping on board and. And uh, helping me put that one together, which turned into the second one um, many years later. That was my first era of books. And then, you know, my second era, I certainly enjoyed doing the update and the revision of the Boss 302 book to add the the new car. But, and and I have to thank John Ford for that. John's the one that gave forward my name and said, I should be the guy to do the books. So I have to thank John, not only for that, but also for hooking me up with motor books. Probably my favorite would have to be the 50th anniversary book that I, that I got to do uh, back in, uh, I guess we did it in 2013. So it would be out in time for the 50th anniversary, but that was, that was a, a true honor. I, 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 Motorbooks never told me this, but I've heard through the grapevine that it might be the best-selling book Motorbooks has ever done. Uh, so I'm proud of that. Uh, I know Mustang people loved it. That that was that has to be my favorite.
1: Well, personally, for whatever it's worth, that's my favorite, too. So I was kind of curious if, if you had brought that one up as one of your favorites. But you mentioned about the book that you did, uh, the very first Boss 302 book. And when you were here, we, we, you know, of course, we've got a bookcase here, about 200 different Mustang books. Let our listeners know how much your initial book goes for right now on eBay.
0: Oh, I I saw one go for over well over five hundred, I think five seventy five, some years ago. The new book, the hardbound book, the launch book for the twelve and thirteen Boss three hundred two was essentially the same book updated and with the new cars added. And I think that that hurt the values a little bit. But I think they're still going for 100 hundred two hundred dollars, you know, mm-hmm. in good condition when the pages aren't falling out. Well, uh.
1: that may be, but of course the thing is, though they're 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 no longer. I mean, they're no longer a print. You can't buy them anywhere new, so to speak. Other than you've got, you know, if you're going to find one, you probably find one used. Uh, but if you're into the Boss twos or just the hobby, it's it's the it's the right book to get to know about bosses. For by, there's no. Yeah, other book I,
0: you know, I have to thank Larry Dobbs for following my passion you know we had done how to restore your mustang and i I think i just brought up to him i said i'd really love to do some research on the boss 302s and i own one and um he said go for it you know he, he helped me get it. He got it printed. He published it, basically. And and uh, even though the market for Boss 302s, especially back then, was extremely small, it it, it did well. And and I, I wish I had put two or three boxes of them aside. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs>
1: well, we all, we always know after the fact, as they say, you know. When, when, well, even now, you talked about a sixteen hundred dollar Mustang. I mean, a Boss. You're going sixteen hundred dollars. I don't care what condition it's in. I'll buy it. Right. Uh, you know. Right. It's it's this. You know, it, it, we just knew, we never knew. We just did not know. I got one last question I want to ask you, and this one may be a little bit uh, it's on topic, but a little different angle. Obviously, you go to a lot of car events and car shows. You've probably, uh, if you had a passport, you would probably be on your thirtieth edition of passport if, if you have them stamped as to which ones you've been to. Over the years since you have been going to car shows, whether it be the Tulsa show or or Ford Nationals or any of those major shows. Have you seen differences in those from when they initially started to where they are now? And are they getting better or are they struggling to find their own place in the hobby now? Or what, what are your thoughts? I'd like to hear from you because you're the one guy that I know that goes to more shows than I do. And I used to go to quite a few, but I was just curious what your thoughts were.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of watched those two particular shows you mentioned, Tulsa and, and Carlisle. Uh, in fact, I was at Spring Carlisle one year, and I don't remember what year this was. Uh, I got to know Chip Miller, Chip and Bill Miller, who, who owned Carlisle um, very well. And, and Chip and I were this was at Spring Carlisle, and Chip and I are standing out in front of the grandstands, and, and he said, "He said, well, let me ask you something." He said. You know, we're thinking about we're doing a Corvette show in the fall and winter and spring Carlisles, and we're thinking about expanding into Ford's. What do you think about that? And I I remember telling him that Pennsylvania was just right with Ford people. There, they there used to be a, at the time there was a Motorsport Nationals over at Maple Road, and done by the racetrack, and it was huge. Not only drag racing, but also the show. And I said, you know, you, you can pull from that. Of course, a couple of years later, he—I don't know that he took my advice. I'm not trying to claim that, but uh, I gave him some inside info from a Ford angle. And, and of course, they started the Ford Nationals, and that was that was huge right from the start. And and they just they just have the right recipe, you know, of display cars and anniversary celebrations and thousands of cars, thousands of Fords. Of course, the big thing that's changed there is, is now there's so many late models. You know, but back then it was it was a lot of uh, a lot of the early cars and, and maybe got it to the Fox body a little bit when they started. But um, now you look out there and, and it's late models and, and they've got Ford sponsorship and Shelby's always there. So they have just grown. You know, that's That's got to be a bucket list for show sure for anyone who hasn't been there. Now Tulsa, you know, I think the first time I went to Tulsa was in 81. And, and the one thing that I – two things I can say that, that Tulsa does is, is good or better than anybody is they give something for everybody. They have a show. They have a cruise. They have a drag race. They have uh, open track out at Hallett, uh, parties at night out in the parking lot, it's, and, and, and it's so friendly. It, it's so laid back. They, they've done a, a great job of bringing in celebrities. Like I've always said – you never know who you're going to be riding in the elevator with, you know, going up to your room. It could be it could have been Carroll Shelby, could have been John Coletti from Ford SVT, Dario Lando from Steeda. They, they all came and spent time there. So but again, that's become very late model. Although I will say that Tulsa really goes back to their grassroots and, and puts a lot of emphasis on the early Shelbys. So. Yeah, the big thing for me is, is uh, from when I got started was, it, you know, back then it was all 65 to 73. And, and now we've got so many great Mustangs, Salines and SVOs to right now to the, the brand new GT500s. So just amazing to me that the Mustang just keeps going.
1: Well, it does keep going. And, of course, that keeps bringing the enthusiasts or brings new enthusiasts into the market. And and it's just or say, market into the hobby. So we're we're fortunate with that because it does take a lot of activity between the events. Obviously, articles, magazines, uh, social media now is a big part of uh, the hobby itself. So it it, it has certainly evolved as it's gone forward. And obviously, as the cars have evolved, uh, so are the platforms for uh, members, I should say, the enthusiasts. Is to to become involved with mustangs, and so uh, that's you know as, well that's fortunate. We're glad we have those things, obviously.
0: Yeah, you know, although as, a, as an old print guy, it's been it's sort of sad to see the print magazines going away. With um, you know Mustang Times, kind of the, the last one standing. There's a new Mustang Hub magazine that's mostly late model and, and really high performance. But I embrace the new technology. I, I love the fact that I can get on the internet when I'm researching the story and find the information I'm, i I need. You know, right there at my fingertips. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes like the other day, I was writing. A, or I'm doing a story on a 1967 Indy pace setter. And I don't, I don't know if you run across one of those, but nope, very, very rare special edition. And looking up, I, I typed in 1967 Indy Center, and it brings up a story I wrote 10 years ago. I didn't remember <laughs> it. So... <laughs> How funny! Well, thank God, thank
1: God that's out there. That, so you can draw upon your own efforts and your own work in the past. So right. Yeah. Yeah, How yeah, funny! How funny! Well, I, I, and I know that feeling when you've done some work and you don't realize you've already done the work some years and years and years ago. So I do follow you there. I understand <laughs> that. So, but anyway, well, I really wanted to thank you. I mean, Donald, this has been great. This is all new to me, as you know, and I'm learning a little bit. But I'm also enjoying the conversation because I learned more from. Uh, from I'm talking to you or talking to, you know, Tom and Gail Wise or to the folks that do Fox Resto and the Foxtoberfest, you know, you learn more about the folks because it is a community. And I think the enthusiasts like learning more about the people that are involved with it. They love the stories, as you said. And so uh, I really appreciate you coming on and being part of this. And I'm sure we're going to have, we'll hear from you more. And hopefully, like you said, if there's something that uh, you'd like to come on and have your own segment, uh, you're more than welcome to. Just let us know and we'll be, we'll be. We would be honored to have you come on board with that.
0: Well, thank you. I'm honored that you would uh, offer that to me. Um, You know, I'll just say that this has been so fortunate. I I never dreamed that I would go from my father's feed store uh, back in the 70s to writing. For, for car magazines, you know, mostly Mustangs, obviously through the years, and, and get to to do the things, go to places, meet the people that I've met over the past, I hate to say it, 40-something <laughs> years. But uh, I'm so thankful that I've had the opportunities I've had and, and thankful that I'm still able to do it.
1: Well, and so is the hobby. They you're 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 an asset that uh, everybody knows, and hopefully, like you said, you'll just keep on going. And because there's there's new cars coming, and there's a lot of new things going to be happening with Mustangs in the next five years. That you and I have heard rumors, I'm sure. And so, mm-hmm. well, we'll see how that turns out. But uh, obviously, the you know the, the enthusiasts are still there, and so the hobby's still there. And you know, I love what I'm doing, and I'm sure you're you're doing it all these years because you enjoy it too. So again, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Donald.